from the campus of Andrews University, this is New Perceptions with Dr. Dwight K. Nelson. Oh God, make us instruments of your peace. That's what your friends are for. On this planet, dark night, bright day, it doesn't matter. Make us instruments of your peace. And in this teaching, call us. Call us to the journey that is led by the Lord Jesus Himself. In His name we pray. Amen. Did you hear about Apple this week? Apple, can you believe it? Wow! I'm talking about Apple, the company. Everybody knows the logo of Apple. The maker of the iPhone, the iPad, the iPod, the Mac computer system. Apple, this week, became the most valuable, and we're talking about market capitalization here, the most valuable company on earth, the value determined this week as those stocks continue to sell, and they're expensive stocks, $623 billion, Apple company. The closest competitor is ExxonMobil at $405 billion. That's number two. Microsoft, the arch rival of Apple, weighs in at $273 billion. In fact, now Apple is worth more than Microsoft and Google combined. In fact, in fact, two in facts. Apple, at its valuation of $623 billion, is now higher than the GDP, the gross domestic product, of Switzerland or Venezuela or Saudi Arabia. Wow. What's the big deal about Apple? Ah, uh, Apple has mastered the simple. Apple simple. You just have one big old dial on the front. All you have to do is just know where to touch that dial and you have music. You have what's embedded in that piece of genius. Apple does life simply. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the church would do life just as simply as Apple? Maybe she does. Connect, grow, serve, go. Maybe it really is that simple, doing church. Put the title slide for the number two. This is only a little two-parter. We began it last week. We ended today. Simple church for unsimple times. And oh my, the times are extremely unsimple. Connect, grow, serve, go. Thank you, Charles Reed, for reminding us of that line. Today, we want to get to the grow. We want to get to the grow, and then we'll drop this for a while. But is the church really that simple? If you thought last week's parable was peculiar, wait till you take a look at this one. Two back-to-back -back parables. Jesus is going to sound like he's repeating himself, but at the moment we plunge deeper, you're going to see this is radically different. Let's go to the second parable. Feels and sounds like where we were last week, but now we're in the Gospel of Matthew. Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of Matthew. This one is downright provocative. Matthew chapter 22. I'm in the New King James Version. You can grab the pew Bible. Listen, you didn't bring a Bible. Grab the pew Bible in front of you. You're going to want to track this unusual, unusual parable. This is Matthew 22. Jesus will be dead in just a few days now. Something's on his heart and mind, and he saves it till now. Matthew 22, we'll pick it up in the uh, first verse. In the Pew Bible, it will be page 665. Here we go. Matthew 22, verse 1. 
And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, verse 2, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son, verse 3, and he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. You say, whoa, Dwight, I told you that's the same. Sounds familiar, not the same. Don't get excited. Last week in Luke 14, it was a host who was having his closest friends over. This is now a king. We're not dealing with a host here. We're dealing with a majestic king who's throwing a lavished banquet for the marriage of his son. I mean, come on. Not, quite, not, not unlike Queen Elizabeth, God bless her, when she threw that, that massive, majestic, lavish banquet for our favorites, favorite royals. Put them on the screen, please. Prince William and his lovely Kate. Everybody knows. The whole world knows who those two are. The whole world saw this moment. Look at the next picture. The whole world, the kiss scene around the world, heard around the world. So what do we have? We have a royal wedding just like that. The king has invited his friends to attend. And can you believe this? Without any excuses. Last week they had excuses. This week, no excuses. They just say, no, not coming. But it gets even worse. Watch this. Verse 3 again. And so the king sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Verse, verse 4, again, the king sent out other servants. They didn't get it. Now, you, you, you go. And he said to them, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted calf are killed. Okay, so the king is not really in this story into a low cholesterol, but we're not going to hold that against the king. Okay, so that's their dinner. See, see, he says, my, my uh, fatted calf and the oxen are killed, and all things are ready. Come, 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 come to the wedding. Verse 5, but they, the ones receiving the re-invitation, made light of it and went on their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. Verse 6, can you, I told you it gets worse. Verse 6, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. Can you believe it? Is this the way you respond to a servant of the king? Commentators and scholars are clear. Ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus is skillfully here telling the story of the Jewish leaders and their nation without mentioning any names. The tale of the Old Testament, the story of a heartbroken God over and over, prophet after prophet, pleading with his people, come back to me, come back to me. And now the son of the king is standing in their very midst and they're going to kill him in a, in a matter of hours. Verse 7, but when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. In that single cryptic line, Jesus is announcing the impending fate of Jerusalem. Forty years from right now, I'm telling you the story today, 40 years from now, 70 A.D., the Roman general Titus will raise this city, sack it, and burn it to the ground, 70 A.D., 40 years, cryptic announcements. Yeah, but you say, listen, what, a, what, what kind of a mean king is this? Don't come to my party, I'm going to kill you. David Redding, in his provocative book, The Parables He Told, he responds to that. Let me put the words on the screen for you. This is David Redding. Now look, God is no petulant child getting back at those who hurt his feelings. The parable is suggesting, I like this, the parable is suggesting that mortality is our chance 
Mortality means this life, right now. You're alive, this is your chance. The parable is suggesting that mortality is our chance, that there is something conclusive about our life here. Our death signals the end, not of an inning, but of a game. It's over. This is, we're not going into extra innings. It's over. All God's mercy, reading on, all God's mercy cannot erase the final score. The score you're tabulating today makes a difference. That's the point. You can't just turn down the invitation right and left and say, well, I'm not into this. It's, you're you're going to get the score you made. All God's mercy, reading, writing, cannot erase the final score. And when we lose this life, oh my, we will lose an advantage that belonged to it alone. What we are respecting here is the guest's awesome privilege to refuse. Isn't that something? It may be our awesome privilege to refuse, ladies and gentlemen, but who but a fool would exercise that privilege? Not if you really, not if she, not if he really knew the king. Why would you say no to an invitation like this? Verse 8, then he said to his servants, okay, plan B, the wedding is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Verse 9, therefore, go into the highways. And as many as you find, invite to the wedding. Can you believe that? I mean, can you imagine me going to the mailbox, opening the mailbox, and here with a British stamp canceled on it, Buckingham Palace and the return address, I have an, I have an invitation from Queen Elizabeth, Her Majesty, to come to the banquet of William and Kate. Would you go if you got the invitation? I know you, you would row the Atlantic to go if that's what it took. I'm not as hopelessly romantic as you. I mean, who would turn down an invitation if, queen, if the queen herself said, come to my party for my grandson's wedding? And yet that's what's happening here. Very few people get an invitation to so exclusive an event as that which makes the king's Command so astounding, and I like it in the NIV. Look at this in the NIV. He, the king tells his servants, invite anyone you can find, anybody. If he's breathing, if she's breathing, extend the invitation. Bring them to this big and lavish event. Wow. Do you know why the king issues that command? I'll tell you why. Because God is huge on connecting with lost people. That's why. He is just big on saving lost people. We noted that in that other parable, the matching parable last week. In fact, the, the key line last week was this one. Remember it. God says that my house may be filled. That's what I want. Just fill this house up. Fill this house up. I want my house full. This week, how does he put it? He says, invite any you find. So those two phrases can actually be combined into a single passionate uh, command. Invite anyone you find that my house may be filled. Because God is huge on connecting with lost people. Right? Now look at it. I know it occurs to you. Okay, Dwight, I understand. Yep, God is that way. I know that the, uh, the, uh, the corollary conclusion, you already know it. I mean, look at it. If God is so big on connecting with lost people, the church ought to be big, pretty big, on, collect, uh, on connecting with lost people. Shouldn't we? Of course. Which is why the simple mission of the Pioneer Memorial Church is a simple line 
that begins with a simple word. Let's put it on the screen. It begins with the word connect. That's a simple mission. Can't we be as simple as Apple? Why not? Connect. Connect, which is why, by the way, in every worship service where you come to this church at the end of the teaching, we'll end with something called the Connect Card. It's in your bulletin right now. In fact, you want to reach in and say, oh, do I, does my bulletin really have one? It has one. A Connect Card. What's the Connect Card about? It gives a special opportunity to every worshiper, guest or member, young or aged or in between, red or yellow, black and white, it doesn't matter, saved or lost, doesn't matter. This little Connect Card's coming up in just a moment and it will be an opportunity for you and me to connect with God. Reconnect if necessary, but connect because God is huge on connecting. We're not going to go over the card. We did that last week. But I want to play for you right now a video clip of why. Now, listen to this. A video clip of why I am so sold out on these Connect Cards. Watch this. This happened in February, the last Sabbath of, this, of the last semester. I sat on that row, and I watched this testimony. Let's go. Chris Sovey. My name is Chris Sovey. I grew up in central Michigan, and um, originally I was a nurse, and, and I moved out here to continue my education, actually, as a physical therapist for a change of careers. And during that time, I, I found um, that I was seeking some answers to some pretty, pretty tough spiritual questions. And, and I read a lot of different books and, and tried to find the answers in other places, but, but I could not find them. So um, one time when I was actually here for a service at PMC, I happened to be listening pretty closely and filled out one of the Connect cards in hopes that that might help um, find some answers. So. Um, I immediately got a response back from, from Rodley, and soon after I started the baptismal classes, which uh, led me down the path of, of trying to develop a stronger relationship with the Lord. I think during my undergraduate studies, I had kind of fallen out of that, but this, is, this has given me an opportunity um, to, to get back on track with that. And, and so the, baptis the baptism itself means a lot to me um, as a symbol to, to strengthen that relationship and, and to just press on so I can find the answers to those, those questions. Is that cool or what? I sat on the front row, last Sabbath of the school year, saw that tape played, and I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. That's why that Connect card is so vital to the mission of anybody that calls itself the community of Christ. You know what? You can put on an inspiring service, pull all the whistles and bells, but if you end and there's no opportunity for a Connect, what have you done? What have we done? We've missed the golden moment and opportunity. Duh. Thank you, Chris, for that, uh, for that testimony. God is huge on connecting with his earth's children. Let's put, let's put that line again on the screen. Invite anyone you find, anyone you find, that my house may be filled. Two parables, one passion, connect. It's God's passion, it must be our passion. Which is why beginning next Sabbath, we launch a brand new worship paradigm. Should have gotten a letter if you're a member of this congregation. Should have gotten a letter yesterday from me. Let me just run it by you one more time. What's the reason for this shift of paradigm? Let's put the sentence on the screen again, please. Because Sabbath morning is the most opportune time to connect people with God. It's not, it's not Wednesday night. It's not Friday night. It was a joy last night, by the way. 400-plus freshmen crowded into the front they, they put up this uh, beautiful cloth uh, wall so everybody's crowded up here, and I got to preach to them. I'm telling you, we got a great new class that's moving in, and I'm praying that they'll take over. Friday night's great. 
My young friend Evan Knott's going to be doing University Vespers every Friday night now, and I've seen his lineup. It's going to be an incredible experience. You're going to want to... It's not just for students, by the way. Evan is very clear, faculty, staff, and community invited. When you see some of the speakers, you'll be here. But Friday night is not the most significant time to connect. Sabbath morning is. Not Monday, not Tuesday, not Sunday. Sabbath morning. Because Sabbath morning is the most opportune time to connect people with God. Now the sentence finishes. We need to make Sabbath morning the most accessible time for people to connect with God. That's what it's about, making it user-friendly. It's no secret that we have a significant number of students on this campus who either sleep through the morning in their residences or, or are simply disconnected with God, church, worship, which means that if we are to take seriously our commission to connect, we have to make whatever it is as user-friendly as possible. So what we've decided to do is whack the worship services down. This is the last of the 90-minute services starting next week, 75 minutes long. We've whacked them both down, 50 minutes each. We've taken another 10 minutes, and now with that extra 40 minutes, we're starting everything later. Let's put the time, the new paradigm, on the screen, please, for a celebration, 9 o'clock in the morning. I tell you what, no more children's stories in second service. So if children, you want to come, you want a children's story, just get mom and dad. Look at they got longer to sleep in now. <laughs> 9 o'clock in the morning, 9 to 10.15, 15-minute break. Then we'll have Sabbath school across campus just one hour long. Children's divisions have always been only one hour long. Second celebration after a 15-minute break next Sabbath, 11.45, 75 fast minutes packed. But our commitment is the same. Everything ends at 1. Everything ends at 1. We think if we can make these services user-friendly, some of you will switch to first service for your children. They'll be the freshest and the quietest. Some of you will come. Some others will come by your invitation to second. Look, at how did the king put it? He said, I want you to go out there and invite everybody you can that my house may be filled. So here's the deal. You invite your friend. Here's the deal. You invite your friend here and the Holy Spirit will take it from here. You just bring your friend here. He'll take it from there. Yeah. Just like that video clip we saw a moment ago, the young man sits down in church, the card's there, he makes a decision. Immediately somebody contacts him within 48 hours. Let's put it out one more time. Invite anyone you find that my house may be filled. But now I need you to notice, please, the provocative punchline to this radically now. Here goes the digression from any similarities with last week. Let's pick it up in verse 9. Therefore, the king in, king's instructions to the servants, go into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding, verse 10. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found both bad and good. Whoa, isn't that something? Both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Verse 11, but when the king came in to see the guests, uh-oh, he saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment. I mean, that would be like Queen Elizabeth. Of course, we've already gone through this. Yes, I'd rode. I'd, I'd get there. So you're at Buckingham Palace now. The man, by the way, did not show up naked. This is not some kind of inappropriate. He's, he's just his street dress. It's okay to, to, it's okay to show up to God in your street dress, but if you went to Buckingham Palace for this big wedding banquet, you'd have a tall English butler to meet you at the door, and he would announce to you that you're going to take those clothes off 
and we will provide for you the queen's tuxedo. And wouldn't you take it? Would you say, oh, I've got to keep these jeans on. No. They said, we're going to give you a tuxedo. You put the tuxedo on. They did that in the time of Christ. Why the man refused the wedding robe is beyond me. I don't understand it. Verse 11 again, but when the king came in to see his, the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment, so he said to him, friend, how did you come in here? How'd you get in here without a, without a wedding garment? I love what the king calls the man that the king has made sure would be at that wedding banquet. Don't you love that? He calls him friend. Not, yo, you, no clothes. He comes to him, he gets up to him, and he says, Hey, friend, what's up? Where's your tux? The word friend. I'm not surprised that it only appears in Matthew. In fact, it appears in Matthew three times. It's always on the lips of God. You see, Matthew, Matthew was that tax collector, the hated scum. Whenever they talked about tax collectors, they always glumped them together with sinners, tax collectors and sinners. And for as long as he would live, Matthew would never forget that golden afternoon when a young rabbi walked up to his toll booth, his tax booth, and he looked into his dark eyes and he said, I want you to come and follow me. Matthew's heart was won by the friendship of the incarnate God. So it's Matthew. It's only in Matthew where Jesus, standing in the orange flicker of Gethsemane that early morning hour, Jesus looks into the haunted face of his betrayer, and only in Matthew does Jesus call Judas friend. What are you doing? Only in Matthew, the two parables that both, both of the protagonists representing God himself, the, the generous employer and the surprise king, only in Matthew do the God figures call the individual, the antagonist, friend. Three times in Matthew, three times on the lips of God. Matthew's moved by the friendship that Jesus has offered him. You know, a friendship apparently that Jesus offers even when you have messed out, burned out, and melted down. Apparently, Jesus calling Judas friend means no matter what your past has been, no matter what you are doing right now, if you give me a chance, I offer you my friendship. How could you say no to a God who calls you friend? Verse 12, so he said to him, friend, how did you get, here, get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Because what can you say when God has not only given you a personal invitation to the greatest event in the history of the universe and you have, your, the invitation is written in your name, when God has given you that invitation and has made every provision for you to stay in that party for the rest of eternity, what are you going to say? You would be speechless. What am I going to do? Come here for some num-num and then leave? How crass. That's all he came for. He came for the eats. He came for the chow. And he's speechless. What can you say? How much simpler for me to admit my deep need and accept his spotless robe 
When I, when I mow our lawn, spring, summer, and autumn, I put the same clothes on week after week, and I wash them every three months whether they need it or not. <laughs> We're talking stinky. We're talking sweaty. We're talking smelly. The Bible tells me, Dwight, put your best on in front of God, and the, mor the moral best I have is that stinky, grass-mowing garments. Isaiah 64 comes along and says, you know what, Dwight? Filthy rags. That's what you're wearing. Filthy rags. But hallelujah, before Isaiah 64 got written, Isaiah 61 got written. And I love this. Isaiah crying out to God, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me, wow, with the garments of salvation. Keep reading. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself. Oh, this is a wedding robe. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, I am covered with a new robe from God himself. Wow. Christ Object Lessons describes the robe this way. I'll put it on the screen for you. This robe woven in the loom. That's how you make textile. You need a loom. This robe woven in the loom of heaven has in it not one thread of human devising. Not a single stitch. Hey, this is the Dwight stitch. God, I got to have just a little bit. Me, here's my Dwight stitch. No, not in the robe God gives. Not a single Dwight stitch in that garment. Not a single thread of human devising. Keep reading. Christ in his humanity wrought out a perfect character. You can read perfect life if you wish. And this perfect character, this life, he offers to impart to us. Take my life. I'll take your, oh, I'll take your filthy rags and you put on my spotless robe. It is the righteousness of Christ, his own unblemished character, that through faith is imparted to all who receive him as their personal Savior. Ladies and gentlemen, that is how we grow. We connect with Christ. We receive him as our personal Savior, and immediately grow kicks in. We immediately, because he says, take the rags off, wear this. It's spotless. Immediately grow. We begin to grow. In fact, let's put that graphic up. Connect, receive him as our personal savior, and just boom, just like that, grow kicks in. And, and here's what's so amazing. I need you to catch this point, please. We do not grow alone. You cannot grow alone. You can only grow in community. Did you think the wedding hall was empty? Are you kidding? It's packed. We grow in community, the community of others just like us. Reminds me of these familiar words. You remember these words from the, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. And let us consider one another, talking about growing together in community. Let's consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Keep reading. Not forsaking. Not forsaking of the assembling of ourselves together. we got to reconnect and again and again. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the capital D day, the D day of Jesus' return, as you see that day approaching. We grow in community which is a provocative point Jesus' parable is making. Look, at, but I love this. Look at verse 10. And so the servants went out into the highways and gathered together. See, that's the bringing together. Gathered together all whom they found both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. They gathered together both the bad and the good. Together, that means in community. But did you catch that? Both the bad 
and the good. I love that picture of the church, don't you? Because we are all filled with both the bad and the good. Some people think the mission of the church is to get the bad out of here, get them out, 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 whoa. Are we all good now? Is everybody in here good? No. If, if everybody in here is good, we are no longer a church. We, we are a museum of something that's never been done before. We don't do the sorting out. God says, you bring them all bad and good. Well, I'll take care of that at the end. I love that picture of the church. Apparently, God intends for all of us to be together. The alcoholic and sexually addicted are to share the same space with the proud and the self-righteous. Everybody's here together. Why? Because the good, when they hang around the bad, develop a new sensitivity and sympathy to how morally difficult some people experience this life. And the bad, as they hang around with the good, discover how very possible the morally upright life really is. We only grow when we're all together, bad and good. We grow in Christ together. Like the children's story, together. That's the key. Which is why this new school year, come this winter in particular, you're going to hear a lot more about grow. Because What's the bottom line of grow? What's the bottom line of the grow line? To gather together, to grow together. That's the bottom line. If I were tweeting, and I'm always amazed at how many people will take this line and immediately tweet it, because I'm on Twitter as well. If I were tweeting this line, I would do it this way. To gather together, to grow together. That's what the grow line is all about. To gather together, to grow together. That's pioneer simple mission. We can be as simple as apple. To gather together, to grow together. That's how we connect. That's how we grow together. Together. All right, take out your connect card while we're together. Would you take out your connect card, please? Pastor Sharon a moment ago talked about filling in the front. By the way, we have some visitors guests with us today. Delighted you're here. I'm really curious on that bottom line, if a guest, how did you hear about us? Did you find us uh, on Google? Did a friend invite you? Did you uh, see it on television? How did you hear about us? That's very helpful for us to know. What you put on here, by the way, members, guests, it doesn't matter. We all fill this card. I turned my card in as well. What you put on here is as much information as you think will be helpful. Now, when I turn the card over, there may be something you're going to need. So the, I, I always say your email address would be most helpful. We'll send that material to you. Within 48 hours, did you hear Chris Sovey say, immediately I was contacted. That's how it works. Doesn't matter how many fill out the cards, we have a whole team that will make sure that you get the response. Okay, so let's turn the card over. Let's talk about my next step today because no teaching should end without somebody telling me, listen, how, what do I do now? I want to take the next step. I don't want to just go home and say, oh, I was inspired. Let's have dinner now. No, I want to take the next step. I want to grow in Christ. What's the next step? How about this one? I want to connect people with God, and so I will seek to invite someone to come to this worship celebration next week or some Sabbath soon. I was talking with one of our members this last week. And the member was just, just say, Van, you're not going to believe it, but in the course of a conversation, it was just like it suddenly came up. Would you like to come to Pioneer with me? That happens time and time again. Would you like to come to Pioneer with me? And the guest came. 
the guests came. It's your invitation that makes the difference. The come makes the connect possible. I'd like to, I'm going to put a check mark there. I want to connect with people with God. I want to take advantage of this moment. But here's the other one. I want to gather together to grow together, and so I will look for opportunities to be together. I want to grow in the context, in the fellowship of other people. I want to grow. I'm going to put a, a, a slide on the screen for you. We're trying something we've never tried before. Hope it works. We're going to move House of Prayer down to the commons, put a bunch of round cafe tables up, serve drinks, and for 45 minutes we're going to connect. Round tables, Book of Acts, starting this Wednesday night. Love to have you come. Growth takes place always, never as a lone ranger, but in the circle of somebody else. Hope you can come. That's page three of the worship bulletin. You need to remind yourself, tear it off, put it on the refrigerator. Come and join us. Put it on your uh, closet door in the dorm. Come and join us. I want to gather together, to grow together, and so I will look for opportunities to be together. Put a check mark there. Our ushers are going to receive this in just a moment, but I wanted to, because Chris was here, Chris was here, and somebody took the time to go through the other box. There are some here who would put a check mark. I'm interested in beginning a relationship with Jesus. He's calling you friend. Can you believe that? He's calling you friend. He's offering his friendship. It's as simple as that to receive it. If you put a check mark there, I'd like to begin a friendship with Jesus, guess what? You put an email. I need an email address on the other side. We will send you in 48 hours, within 48 hours, we will send you material to how you can grow your friendship with Jesus. We're not going to come knocking on your door. We're going to respect your privacy, but we're going to begin to give you the tools to grow a relationship with Jesus. Oh, I'm interested in information on baptism. Chris obviously checked that one because that's the contact, and he didn't get baptized the next day, but began to study the Bible, and when he was ready, he was baptized. It was a beautiful baptism. Oh, I'm interested in information on the church. Put a check mark there. We'll send you that information. We need your email address. I want to join a ministry team. Put it there. I want to receive Bible studies. Put a check mark there. We'll, we'll take care of the rest. It's the next step for you. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, and he's saying, hey, come on, it's time. Let's get this friendship going. Put a check mark. We'll do everything we can to help you. This may be, and you're going to have to do two things at once because you're going to need to put that card in, but I'm going to draw your attention and show you four pictures in just one moment. This probably is one of the most heartbreaking stories to come out of the recent London 2012 Olympics. Don't fool me. You watch those Olympics. I watched them and I was blessed. I mean, come on. It's just a little bit of, uh, of, of the young of the world, 10,500 of them actually. But one of the heartbreaking stories concerns one of our own. She lives right down here in Plymouth, Indiana. Do you know where that is? That's just south of South Bend. So that's in Michigan. Her name, Morgan Usney. Morgan has been training since she was a little girl. Half her life she's been training. She had one dream. I want to run in the 1,500-meter race. She, in 2011, she was the world's number one woman 1,500-meter race runner. So now she gets to go to the Olympics. The whole town of Plymouth shows up in that auditorium. They are cheering their hometown girl on. Morgan's now 27 years old. Graduated from Phil, uh, Plymouth High, went to Cornell University. So she knows a little bit about studying as well, but she just has been training and training. And the race is on, the gun goes off, and Morgan, for 1,400 meters, is on, her, on top of her game. 
She's going now, I'm sorry, for 1,100 meters, she's on the top of her game. She's going for the fourth, the last 400 meters when this tragic moment happens. And you see Morgan there on the left. The heel of another runner caught her on the knee. And boy, she is down. Do you see her? That's our little Plymouth girl. She's our own. She went down and she fell apart. God bless her. Next picture, please. She fell apart. She just, she just collapsed in tears. I mean, there's no way you can recover that race. It's over. I've spent half a lifetime. Listen to David, uh, David, David Woods, Indianapolis star. He put it this way. This is the other side of Olympic glory. Half a lifetime of preparation of dreaming shattered in an instant. Pull the camera back a little bit. Let's take another look at her on the track. She would later write on her Facebook page these words, I've never experienced such a heartbreaking moment. I mean, doesn't your heart just go out to her? Don't you want to hug her and just say, it's okay, we were so proud of you anyway. But now, the sa to me, to me, the saddest picture of all is number four, and I'll put it on the screen. She's down on her knees. The race is over. Her colleagues are congratulating each other, celebrating the finish. And as David Woods put it, oddly, none of the other runners acknowledged Eusne or came to her aid after the race. She walked off of that track alone. Ladies and gentlemen, they may do alone out there. We cannot do alone in here. We cannot do alone in here. Together is our word. Together. One cries, I cry. One laughs, I laugh. Together is what this congregation must be about every day, every week, and every month. And that's what this little hymn that we're going to sing right now, oh, this is, a, this is our favorite. Stand to your feet. We're going to sing hymn 350, Bless Be the Tie That Binds, Together, Together, Together. Stand and let's sing this together.
And now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the community of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Before you go, I'd like to take a moment and talk to you about your relationship with Jesus. So often we go to church or we listen to a sermon about the things that Jesus said or that which Jesus did. We learn all these facts about him, yet when it comes down to it, we sometimes realize we haven't actually come to know him personally ourselves. Or perhaps you've only recently discovered the love of Christ and you're wondering where you go from here. That's why I'd like to invite you to take advantage of this free book offer, The Little Classic Steps to Christ. Since this book was first penned, a century ago. It sold over 50 million copies. It's been translated into 135 different languages. You know what? The good news of the gospel is so direct and so sublimely simple that we often look right past it. So what this book does is it will help you see the good news in all its glory and all its beauty. What you're going to discover here are clear, simple steps to help you enter into the most important friendship of your life. So please give us a call. Toll-free number, you see it on your screen, 877, and then the two words, His Will, 877-HIS-WILL. Ask one of our friendly operators for your free copy of Steps to Christ. By the way, years ago, this book led me to Christ, and I pray that it will lead you to Him as well. So give us a call. And in the meantime, God, be with you every step of the way until we're here again next time.